Well, good morning, Harvest. Grab your Bibles, and we're going to open to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to look at one last instruction for the church this morning. And uh, now there are a ton of instructions that we haven't even scratched the surface on, all right? But Lord willing, we're going to be digging into God's Word together as a church for a long time. That's not going to change at any point, okay? We're going to keep opening up God's Word. And so over the years, we're going to come back and get a lot of these instructions. But we're ending this series today, Instructions for the Church. And we're going to wrap it up by looking at the instruction of work, right? Work. When I say work, what comes to your mind? Probably for a lot of us, right, it's our place of employment, right? The reason our alarms go off Monday through Friday, uh, the reason you can't go do all the fun things you want to do because, oh man, I got to work. Maybe you're thinking about chugging coffee, scarfing down breakfast, running out the door because you don't want to be late for Work, right? All right, so it's the place. And work can look a lot different for a lot of us, right? Whether Mother Mayo cut your paycheck, or uh, you sit in a cubicle, or you answer phones, or you pour cement, or you flip burgers, or you sell cars, all right? You, there's a lot of different things. Our society is one that revolves around work. When you first meet somebody, what's one of the first questions they ask, right? Where do you work? What do you do? What do you, what's your career? Our society is one that revolves around work. But, at the same time, our society is one that views work now as a necessary evil. It's just something we do to accomplish what else we want to do with our life, right? It pays the bills. It puts food on the table. According to Gallup's 2017 State of the American Workplace Report, 70% of U.S. workers are described as not engaged in their job. 70% which means that 70% of Americans who are employed are waking up, getting dressed, dragging themselves to work, doing the bare minimum required to not get fired, right? Stealing time and company resources whenever and wherever possible, and then clocking out at the end of their shift completely unfulfilled in their work. And that's a lot different than the, things, than the way things used to be, right? The American dream, right? The American dream is defined as the ideal that every U.S. citizen should have an equal opportunity to achieve success and prosperity through hard work, determination, and initiative. Hard work, determination, and initiative. And I would say that ideal is now the American dream is more do enough to get by, network enough, know the right people, take advantage of enough people to climb some type of ladder until you eventually have people working for you and you don't have to work at all. That's become more of the mantra. It's more, I'm going to go out and get mine and do what I want. But I'm going to show you today from Paul's second letter to the church in Thessalonica that we are called to work hard and stay humble. Work hard and stay humble. That's one of those, uh, you know, phrases that maybe you've You've heard before, um, I used to rock it as my iPhone background for a while, right? It was kind of this, I, this idea that I was trying to encapsulate of like, man, I want to be known for my hard work and my humility. I don't want to be the guy that, you know, gets really successful and lets everybody know how awesome he is all the time. Rather, I want to be known for my work ethic. And this is not a new thing, okay? This is not a... a A new situation here in America. This has always been a problem. We're going to see it even back in this church in Thessalonica, 
right? And the instruction of work today is not a, hey, go get a job, and that's enough. The instruction is rather developing our theology of work, our desire to work hard and stay humble. I would love to apply that to our frame of reference for this message. We work hard, we stay humble, because at the end of the day, God gets the glory, and we are just unworthy servants. So let's read together in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. We're starting off pretty strong here with a command from Paul. Okay? He's not politely suggesting this. He's throwing down the full authority of Jesus Christ on the table and expecting complete obedience from his readers. Right? This is something that Paul does kind of a lot where he stops just talking about theological notions of Christian living and then goes, okay, here's how we're going to walk this out, church. Do this by the authority of Jesus. This is obviously his second letter to these brothers the leaders of the church. He's already addressed this same topic back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. So it's obvious that there's a problem surrounding work at this church. Here's what was happening. There was a number of people, a group of people, who, who were refusing to work and were relying on all the other people in the church who were working to supply their needs. They were coming to church, they were sitting by their Christian brothers and sisters and not working, expecting them to fulfill the needs. And Paul never addresses why, right? He's not, it, maybe it was sheer laziness, uh, the way Paul talks a lot about the coming, the day of the Lord, right? There's probably this, like, oh, Jesus is coming back any day now, so why would I get a job? There's the old phrase, right? You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. And that's probably what was going on, we could speculate that, but Either way, Paul's saying it's not valid. He's negating all of it, and he's now commanding the church to steer clear of these people. All right, look at verse 7. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. So there's that word again, idle, idleness. He's now captioned this wrong behavior as being idle. And he's contrasting that with the example he and the other missionaries left when they were at that church. Idle isn't really a word that we would use very often, right? Maybe lazy or unproductive is more common to us, but it's kind of easy to spot lazy people, right? We all kind of know maybe somebody that we grew up around or people in life or people on TV that would be characterized as lazy. It's pretty easy to spot the guy who doesn't get a job just because he doesn't want to, doesn't think he should have to work, thinks he's above it, wants to mooch all his food and resources off his friends. Like, nobody likes that guy. It's pretty easy to see. But idle, this idleness, it's kind of a wider circle that I think it's a little bit easier for us to hide in. When I think of idle, I think of an engine, right? I love motorcycles. I grew up loving motorcycles. I've owned a couple in my life that never really worked super well. So it was always really exciting when the engine finally started. And I would sit and I would let it idle and just kind of, okay, baby, come on, like, keep going, you know. And I would let it idle so the engine would warm up so I could take it out for a ride. But when we think of that word idle, like, apply that a little bit. Like, the engine's, you could say the engine's working, but it's not being put to its greatest use. It's not really actively engaged in what it's meant to do. It's not fulfilling its purpose. It's just idle. 
True confession, one of my favorite movies ever is The Incredibles. I know it's an animated movie. I have two boys now. My oldest is getting to the age now where I can watch animated films and like have an excuse. Like, I'm an adult. I'm going to go see Cars 3 for my son. Right? But true, true statement, I love The Incredibles. It's one of my favorite movies. All right, but there's this scene in the movie where we get a glimpse into the daily life of now retired superhero Mr. Incredible. Right? You guys remember the scene? Right? He crams himself into his little car. He sits in traffic. He drives to sit at his desk at a job he hates and gets yelled at by a boss he despises. And the awesome part is when he finally snaps and he grabs his boss and he throws him through the wall. And that's probably, if you have a boss like that, maybe that's your favorite part of the movie. You're like, yeah, I want to do that. Throw him through the wall. Right? No, but I mean, the reality is, is that this is true. This wash, rinse, repeat cycle is true for a lot of people in the world. They just get up, they go through the motions, they go home, they eat dinner, they go to bed, alarm goes off, do it again. And maybe you can relate to that this morning. It's a huge problem that companies have been started for corporations to like come in and try and motivate employees to be more productive, to find satisfaction in their job, to work hard. We always are looking for motivation to keep going, aren't we? To get out of bed again today. Keep going. It'll get better. I think of the classic like cat poster, right? Where he's hanging, hang in there, baby. Right? Cat's hanging on. But my, my Facebook news feed is filled all the time with like motivational phrases and quotes. So like people just like, okay, give me something. Keep me going. Inspire me to keep going. I know this isn't the way I was meant to live. I feel like I'm just going through the motions. I feel idle. So let's lean in this morning to why work is an instruction from the Lord, why we should be inspired to work hard and stay humble. So I'm going to take four phrases that maybe you would see on your Facebook wall or on a t-shirt or on a mug, right? And I'm going to show you how we can attach God's truth to those and make them mean something for us this morning. Because when the world is the only motivation, when money, when success, when fame, when your own self is your only motivation, that fades really quickly on the hard days. Fades really quickly in the grind of life. But when God is the purpose, when his glory, when his calling, his purpose on us to work, when we have that, we have everything. So I'm going to pull four phrases from this passage and show you why we should avoid idleness, work hard, and stay humble. First phrase this morning is leave a legacy. Leave a legacy. We all know people who have a legacy, right? Um, we can think of some, some big names from the world. Who are some people who have a legacy in the world? Johnny Cash. Michael Jordan. Billy Graham. Carnegie? Is that what I heard? Carnegie. Who else? Anybody else? Tom Brady. Tom Brady. <laughs> what? Martin Luther King Jr. Right, so we can all think of people like that. I think of some of the classics too, right? Like I think of uh, John Lennon, right, with the Beatles, like left his stamp on music. Babe Ruth in baseball, right? Like just a legend, legacy. Steve Jobs, right? Had, like tech world will never be the same because of his influence. Like there's, those people have left a legacy and it's all based around their accomplishments and the things that they have done. But now I want you to think of some people who you know personally, not people that you've read about or seen on TV, right? Who do you know personally that has left a legacy in your life? Just think about it. I don't need an answer. But think about those people. Can you think of somebody? 
I can think of a couple people. And I would be willing to bet that those people, it was way less about what they did and more about who they were in your life. And that's what Paul is referencing here. He's like, it wasn't just about who, what we did while we were there. This is who we were. This is the legacy we've left for you. And we need to do the same thing with our work ethic, with our desire to live a life pleasing to the Lord. We need to leave a legacy. Verse 7, he says, you ought to imitate us. Paul and the other missionaries left a legacy for the church to follow. These guys weren't reading this letter going, that was not who he was. He's just a good writer. Like, he didn't live that way. No, like, they were like, yeah, Paul, that's exactly who you were. And you're right. It's the exact, exact opposite of who these guys are acting like. Since I've had kids, I, uh, I think a lot about how they will remember me. I don't know if that's, like, normal to already be thinking about, like, when I'm, like, not here and they're, like, oh, they're, like, they're two, right? Two and a half and, like, a one-month-old. And I'm thinking about when I'm dead. Like, I don't know if that's normal, but... It happens, and uh, I think a lot about it because I want them to remember me for who I really was. So as I started trying to journal more this year, I've tried to be more real in my journaling, right? I've tried to be more, like, transparent, like, so that they see who I was, right? I'm not, like, lying in my journal, like, man, it was really fun to have lunch with the CEO of Google today and do 800 push-ups. Like, I'm not going to do that so that they're like, man, Dad was awesome. We had no idea, Right? No, like, I'm being real. I'm asking hard questions to myself. I'm talking about what the Lord's teaching me right now because I want them to look back on this and know who I was. One of my deepest fears would be that they would read that and be like, man, I had no idea. That's who Dad was? Like, he struggled with that? That's so, I never got that. I want my kids to know the legacy I leave, and I want it to match up not just what I said, but what I did, who I was. Let's read on. End of verse 7. Because we were not idle when we were with you. That's the legacy. When we were with you, we weren't idle. This is who we were. This is how we lived. We need to think of the legacy we will leave. Will God be honored with it? Verse 8. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. I'm going to wrap those verses into our next phrase, earn your keep. Earn your keep. As we're framing up our theology of work, as we're looking at how we can work hard, stay humble, part of that is we need to earn our keep. Here's the truth. Nobody wants to be known as a mooch. But we've probably all known a mooch. If that person is in the room, don't look at them. I said don't look at them. No, but I mean, we can all think of examples too. I think of like some of the sitcoms I grew up with, right? There's always a mooch character. Right? Steve Urkel from Family Matters, right? You guys remember his line? Oh, man, I'm so scared that nobody's going to know this. Remember his line? He'd come in and be like, y'all got some... Dang it. <laughs> y'all got some cheese. Remember that? He'd come in. He wanted cheese. Guy, oh, my gosh. I was so scared that's how that was going to go, and that's exactly how it went. <laughs> but he'd come in, and he was mooching food off the Winslow family all the time, right? You had Kramer from Seinfeld, right? He'd just barge into Jerry's apartment and open up the fridge, right? He was a mooch. 
But there was something endearing about those characters, but in real life, like, nobody likes a mooch, right? It's the last type of friend you're, like, adding to your friends list when you want to go hang out. Like, hey, we should go out to dinner with not that guy because we're going to have to pay for him, so. But in this case, it was hard because these people were in the church, right? They were coming every weekend to worship with their brothers and sisters in Christ and then expressing, like, hey, guys, like, I can't pay my bills this week, so, uh... You know, and like they probably weren't quoting Acts 2 just yet out of context, but maybe close. Like, come on, Fred, aren't we supposed to have all things in common? And Paul is hearing about this behavior, and he's like, dude, like, stop. Disassociate from these people. Like, they need to understand that this is a big deal. Don't, like, taper off their supply slowly. Cut it off. Done. Because there's a difference between generously caring for those in real need and flippantly enabling idleness in the church. Proverbs 16.26 says, A worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. Basically, if you cut off the gravy train, people will get off and find a way to feed themselves. And I just got to say this, side note, we have a whole process in our church set up to help discern people in need. You need to know that. I'm not standing up here saying that if you need help, all you're going to hear is work harder, figure it out. That's what God's word says. No. (laughs) We have godly men serving as deacons who interview and discern how to help people in need. But the truth is, sometimes the best way to help people is to inspire them to earn their keep. Financial hardship is in the top 10 reasons for divorce or marital strife and every article I could dig up this week, right? It's in everyone. When money is tight, tensions rise, tempers flare, and in a world where work is viewed the way that it is, it's becoming more and more rare to see someone work hard to make ends meet. I've told my wife countless times that if there was ever a season where something happened and we needed to somehow make some more money, I would figure it out. Right, I have a 40-hour-a-week job that I love. I'm grateful for it. I'm employed by this church and your support, and it's amazing. And I count that as a blessing. But if I, I would never take advantage of that to the point where I would not go out and walk in someplace and ask for an evening shift job, minimum wage. If that's what was going to put food on my table, if that's what was going to make ends meet, I would do it. That was just the way I was raised, right? I'm grateful for parents that instilled that in me. You work hard, you earn your keep. But I know that's not sustainable, right? If that was just the norm of my life where I had to work 80 hours a week, right, that would not be sustainable. And don't hear me saying, maybe that's just your lot in life. You just need to work all the time and never make it work. (laughs) That's a seasonal thing. I'm talking about fighting to get out of something, whether it was something that happened or you know, you're trying to pay off debt or whatever, like kind of having this intensity about it to go after it and figure it out. And if you feel like you're just going to be stuck in that forever, we have resources. We have classes that we can take you through to help you better understand your finances and make a plan. But the question comes, are you willing to earn your keep? Or do you think that everything should just come to you? Do you feel like you're, you're above somehow working to achieve what you need in your life? Are you content to take from those around you without ever thinking of offering to pay it back? The generosity of God's people is not something to take advantage of. 
but it's to see it as a blessing from the Lord in times of real need. Earn your keep. Don't eat if you aren't going to work. So there's that side of it. There's like the physical side of it. The real side is Christians, we should be known for that, our hard work, earning our keep. But on the spiritual side of things, there's, there's a level of this that I have to talk about. As an instruction for the church, there is this perspective. It's not monetary, it's not physical, it's spiritual. See, we believe there are three major qualities of a disciple, right? A quality disciple worships Christ, walks with Christ, and works for Christ. And that third W, that work for Christ, man, that's like the, that's the unpopular one. That's the last one picked in gym class, okay? That is like the thing we don't really like to talk about, like work, like I work all week. I don't want to work on the weekend, especially at church. But we have to frame up, we have to understand our theology of work, that God is a worker. God created work. God resting and implementing the Sabbath implied that there would be six other days of work. Adam worked in the garden. Only after the fall did that work become burdensome. But man was designed to work. We were designed to work. We work with a purpose because it keeps us from idleness. And this isn't like a clever way for our church to trick you into like helping us do church. Right? This isn't something we scheme up in staff meeting where we're like, how can we get everyone else to do our job for us? No, like we're called as leaders of the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Not so that you have work to do or things to say that, man, look at us, we did some stuff, but so that you can participate in the glorious kingdom work of Jesus Christ. Do you work with kids all week? Channel that talent, skill, energy into an opportunity to make an eternal impact on kids on Sunday morning. Maybe you're really pretty good at getting up in the morning. It's not a big deal to you and you have a great eye for detail, right? Use that to come and help transform this middle school into a church every week so that people will walk in, feel welcomed, and hear the gospel. It's not a trick. It's an opportunity. It's a chance to work for Christ and give him glory. If you come every week and you eat spiritual food here, but you aren't working, then this is for you. It just is. Earn your keep. Be a part of this. Paul is calling it out in this letter and we need to apply it to us today. Read again in verse 11. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Clever, a clever little uh, play on words here from Paul. Not busy at work, but busy bodies, right? These people were not content with just refusing to work, okay? Rather, they were using now their spare time that they weren't going to a job. They were using it to meddle in other people's affairs and to kind of like walk around and annoy the people who were working. They were gossips, causing disunity and becoming a burden on those who did work. Right, I'm imagining the guy who like wanders around the office with his coffee cup in his hand and just keeps popping into other people's work spots like, hey, did you hear about Bill from accounting? You know, and talking about the latest office drama and you're just like, dude, don't you have a job? 
But the word, like, in this scenario, it's even worse because that guy, it's like that guy doesn't work there. He's just here, like, I'm just taking some snacks from the break room and uh, what you got going on? That looks hard, right? Like, get, get, can security get this guy out of the place here? That's what was happening. It's crazy. Paul gives a, ma- a command directly to these people. Just stop, okay? Stop, work quietly, earn your own living, all right, and maybe you're not that guy, okay? I would say that most of us are not that guy. If you are that guy, stop being that guy. But we do probably have a tendency to be distracted by other things while we work. Time theft is like the big buzzword, right, in corporate world. When you're at work, are you actually working? That's what they want to know. Now, you can read a, a thousand articles about whether or not, like, we were designed to work an eight-to-five job and like all these cool companies now have nap time at work so you can be more productive, right? We can get into that if you want. But the truth is, we need to know that whenever we work, we should do it with all of our might. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Work quietly, earn your own living, earn your keep. And to do that, sometimes we need to starve our distractions and we need to feed our focus. Feed your focus. It's our third phrase. There's a famous Cherokee legend story, right, about uh, two wolves, okay? And there's, there's two wolves that live inside of us and one represents all things evil, all right? In this scenario, it would be idleness. And the other wolf represents all things good. So here, hard work, right? And they're constantly fighting against each other. And the question is always, which wolf will win? What's the answer? The one you feed. The one you feed is the one that wins. And that's a great way to look at it. But I'm also talking about what, what specifically are you feeding around your work? Feed your focus, right? When I think of that, I think of like Rocky Balboa, Eye of the Tiger, baby. Like, you know, he's getting after it. There's something inspiring about watching somebody with soul dedication going after something. Not, doesn't have time for anything else, right? Completely committed to the goal, to the mission. We love that type of stuff. You watch these like behind the scenes day in the life of these athletes like getting up, going through the grind, making it happen or anybody, right, who's going after a specific goal. Like we're inspired by that. We love that. Like for like a week, I'm like eating broccoli and like, you know, waking up at my alarm's going off at four and I'm like doing push-ups, right? And then it fades out because like, dude, that's hard. (laughs) I don't want to do that. (laughs) Right? But we're inspired by that. Like nobody roots against Rocky you do like will be people down here to pray for you because you're just a mean person (laughs) don't root against Rocky but everybody loves that they want to see the guy who's dedicated who's working hard who's staying humble who's going after it they want to see that guy succeed because it's ingrained in us that that's how we should be when you see when you see this stuff you're inspired we should be the same way in our work ethic we should be feeding our focus starving our distractions not for the glory of ourselves or of men, but because God is honored by it. Let me ask you this. Do you imagine God to be focused? Do you imagine he's a focused God? Do you think God is distracted at any point? 
I'll be honest, there have been times, like this week, where I've wondered if God is sitting on his throne, getting all the worship, waiting, buying his time to just come back. Could care less if things are going on in the world. Anybody else want to confess that with me? I mean, I'm just standing up here being completely transparent. There have been times where I've just wondered that. Like, God, really? Again? Is God idle? God, why don't you do something is the famous question, right? Is God idle? Is he just sitting there like twirling his thumbs? No. The answer is a resounding no, and we have to believe that. He's a focused, determined, hard-working God because he wants to set the example of work to all of creation. I'm going to throw a bunch of verses out here. Okay, here's how God works. God works in creation, Genesis 1.1. God works in preservation, Hebrews 1.3. God works in providence, 1 Chronicles 29.11. God works in judgment, Acts 17.31. God works in redemption, Galatians 4.4-5. We're just getting started. Jesus Christ is also working by redeeming people, Galatians 3.13. Building his church, Matthew 16.18. Interceding for his people, Romans 8, 34, and preparing a place in heaven for them, John 14, 1 through 3. There's one more part of our Godhead. The Holy Spirit works by convicting sinners, John 16, 8. Regenerating them, Titus 3, 5. And indwelling them, 2 Timothy 1, 14. If you think for an instant, that God is sitting idle on his throne, twirling his thumbs, unaware or somehow distracted of what things are going on behind him, then you do not know the God who is working every single second of every single day to bring to completion the good work that he began in you. That is our God. He is a hard worker. He has set the example for work. And it's hard work for us to live up to that. We never will. It requires us to stay humble because we can't do it on our own. Paul knows it's hard and that there will be times when these brothers will be tired. He encourages them here in verse 13. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. The sad reality is that there will always be people who don't want to hear this. They won't listen. I pray not in this room, but I can't guarantee that. Paul is recognizing that. He's asking them not to let the sin of some taint their good work, their view of how they should be helping those in need. Some of these people had been taken advantage of. They would use their own food or their own money to help supply the need of someone only to find out that they didn't really need it. They used it for something else. They were taken advantage of. 
And so they were becoming hard-hearted to the idea that their generosity is something they should steward as well. That their hard work should be charitable in an aspect of, man, I, I want to help those in need. Part of my work ethic is helping those in need. They were becoming hard to that idea. And Paul's encouraging them, like, don't grow weary in it. See, there's going to be people who need our help. There's going to be people who come. And man, just see, in our society, in our world, it's just like, it's like we don't have years for these people anymore. We're so quick to just assume the worst about that person that they can just go and figure it out and I figured it out so this person should well. Why should I give my hard-earned money? Why should I spend my time? Don't grow weary. We need to stay the course. Stay the course is our last phrase this morning. Keep on mission. We need to be ready. We need to be willing to help these people. Pray, discern, stay the course. The mission is to make disciples. The mission is to love. The first commandment was love your God. Second, just like it, love your neighbor. We need to be ready and willing to help. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Stay the course. And stay the course with those who are idle as well, right? He says it. If anyone does not obey this instruction, take note of that person, have nothing to do with them so that they may be ashamed. Right? Same is true in our church, right? If you're sitting here idle, our last instruction for the church, we would come to you and say, okay, like, it's time. This sounds a little harsh, but this is truly tough love. Right? And he's not saying that these people are not saved, right? Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. These people aren't, shouldn't be excommunicated from the church. Rather, he's taking them through church discipline. He's saying, they've heard this once from me. You've brought it to them as well. Now go to them again with this whole letter before the whole church. And if they still don't listen, they need to be removed from among you so that they know that this is not a joke. This is not how we act as believers, as followers of Christ. And our part is to not be an enabler of idleness in our church or in your home. All right, I'm going to talk to the students for a second. Students, if you're old enough to work, get a job. Do not rely on your parents all the way through high school and college to supply every need for you. Don't do it because all of a sudden you're going to graduate and you're going to walk into the workforce and be really surprised that people aren't handing you things. So I want to encourage you, right? If you can drive, if you can get a, get a ride from somebody like work in some way, shape, or form, mow lawns, shovel driveways, do something that would inspire your work ethic so that you know what it's like, right? Now, I'm not, I'm not that old, okay? I'm not. I understand that. I realize that. I am 28. That is very young, in our society. I, I'm aware of that. Okay, I'm in the millennials. I get it. I'm not going to give the whole I walked uphill both ways to school speech. I'm not. But I remember, okay, I remember when I wanted something, I, I paid for it, right? My parents supplied all of my needs. They didn't give me all of my wants. Sometimes they did because they were good parents and they loved me and they modeled Christ in that way to me. 
But for the most part, like if I wanted something, like I had to work for it, whether it was chores around the house or I like drove a lawnmower around the neighborhood and mowed lawns for like five bucks a lawn so I could like, I don't know, go see a movie, probably The Incredibles. (laughs) But I'm, I'm calling you students, be a leader in your generation because this is very, very quickly deteriorating, that there would be a work ethic, that you would work for a living. So hold that standard. Be a hard worker. Show your teachers that you love Jesus by how hard you work. Show your friends how much you love Jesus by how hard you work. Show your parents how much you love Jesus by how hard you work. If you can't get a job, if you can't drive, if you can't get a ride, work hard at home. Take the trash out. Obey right away when your parents ask you to do something. Right? Set up a chore list. Ask for an allowance. I don't care. Set it up. If you do work, your parents can pay you. I'd pay my kid a lot of money to do some stuff right now, but he's two. <laughs> I would. I'd be throwing cash and do stuff. Come to my house if you want a job. How about that? I got some stuff to do. All right, parents, stay the course with your children too. Don't be an enabler of idleness. What's the mission? Make disciples. When they leave our homes, they should know that the will of God is the word of God and that their lives should reflect his character, not what the world says is cool all the time. Don't enable their idleness. Hold fast. Stay the course. Now, the hardest part about staying the course um, can be when you're not sure where the course is. Our church has a a high percentage of millennials, right? And uh, I'm I'm in there. And... A lot of you are just starting to make your mark on the world, and I get it. You're, because I'm in a generation with you, you can hear this message and say, well, of course I feel idle because I don't know what God's will is yet for my life. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm just working this job or doing this thing until the real door opens, and then I'll start pursuing hard work. I'll, I'll apply this message. Listen to me. You are not, listen to this, You are not outside of God's will in a season of waiting if it's God's will for you to wait. God can work in amazing ways through your waiting. You are not outside of his will just because you feel like you don't know what's going on. Listen to me. (laughs) Some of the best things I have learned in my life have come when I had no clue what I was doing and I had to solely depend on God. Case in point, uh, marrying my wife. I, uh, I don't have the best track record with relationships. Um, those sins haunt me to this day and motivate me to live in the full grace of Jesus Christ. I, I stand before you a broken man that for some reason the Lord has chosen to put his hand on and use despite my own self. And that struggle followed me into my relationship with Jen. There were, man, there were many nights where I would sit and I would question and I would lay in bed at night and I would talk to the Lord and I'd say, God, I'm going to mess this one up too. I'm going to screw it up. I'm going to ruin her life. I need to end it. And I tried. I ran away, right? I broke her heart somehow thinking that this was better for her in the long run. <laughs> But God bless my wife. She didn't buy it. I mean, she was mad, like real mad. (laughs) Real mad. And she was hurt, right? But she stayed by me. 
right? We talked. I figured out how stupid I was not to just marry this girl and keep figuring out how stupid I was over and over again with her by my side. That sounded like a way better deal. <laughs> I was just going to keep realizing how dumb I am. Might as well have her there. Right? Did God, did God drop a spotlight on her as like angels saying, you know, like, oh, this is the one. I found her. No. Did I like pray, God, give me a sign. And the next day she's holding a sign that says, this is your sign, Dumbo. Right? No. Like that didn't happen, right? There was a lot of doubt. There was a lot of like cloudiness around it because I was so wrapped up in myself. Like I had my own sins to deal with. What I did was I prayed a ton and I just started moving. I just started walking. I put the car in drive. I took it out of park. I didn't just sit with the engine idling. It's a lot easier to stay the course when the one who knows the destination is giving the directions. Rather than you just kind of driving around aimlessly hoping that you figure it out, it's a lot better just to lean in and go, I don't really know where I'm going, but I'm trusting that I'm going to get the instruction at the right time. That God's going to tell me. I'm just going to keep driving. And sometimes, sometimes that direction is just drive. I'm going to use you whatever you do. You can't really escape my will for your life once you accepted Jesus as your Savior. He will use you. God will be honored if you serve him here or there. God will be honored if you serve him with this person or that person. Use discernment. Pray. Walk towards a door. See if it opens. Trust the Holy Spirit is indwelling you and allow him to help you move forward. Be inspired today. If you're struggling with idleness, I want you to use these four phrases to know God desires you to work hard and that there is joy and satisfaction found in it. Our theology of work is framed around God as a worker. He has called us to lean in, work hard. Leave a legacy. Earn your keep. Feed your focus. Stay the course. Work hard. Stay humble. As we wrap up this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to respond in a really practical way, right? A couple ways here. You got a card in your bulletin <coughs> as you came in. We can't, we're coming up on our fall launch, right? And September 10th is like our big ministry launch date, okay? It's the weekend after Labor Day. It's kind of the weekend. Everybody's back into the routine. They're ready to kind of go after the next season of life. And we see that as a great opportunity to show you that all of our ministries here at Harvest are growing and have opportunities for you who are ready to work for Christ. There's always a place for you here. No ministry is like closed or too full. You will always have an opportunity to work for Christ. So that card is just a super easy way to help you get plugged in. This is not a commitment card Okay? I'm not asking you to prick your finger and sign your name at the bottom. This is an interest card. Like, I hear what this passage is saying. I want to earn my keep. I want to be a part of this. I want to work hard. So here's what I'm interested in. If I could pick anything, I'm just going to circle these three and you tell me more about them. Right? Really easy way. Get connected. Be a part of that. The other way is uh, you have a unique opportunity this morning to take another step in getting connected and getting plugged in here at Harvest. Step two is that class that happens right after this service, right? 
two hours, I believe, which is long. I'm not going to beat around that. It's a long time to sit, but the content is incredible. If you haven't gone through it, this is a really good application to the message. Go take your next step. Lean in. Work hard for the next two hours with that class and see how God can connect you here at Harvest, connect you to his local church, and how you can be a part of this. But I wanted to give you a few minutes here to, to interact with that card, and we're going to have some ushers. ushers. If I could just have you stand at the doors at some point and just collect cards from people as they leave, that'd be awesome. Just interact with that card. Spend a few minutes. I'm going to pray, and then I'm just going to leave you to that. And then just hand it to an usher as you leave today. All right? Interact with this. If you want to bring it back next week, you can do that too. But let's be ready to work for Christ. Let's be ready to work hard for his glory. All right? Let's be marked. Let's be people marked by our work ethic. Because God has created us to be that. We find our purpose. We find our satisfaction in that. Let's go after that together. Let's pray. God, you, um, you are worthy of all things, of all glory and honor. And God, this is just a simple way, God, uh, something that's been ingrained in us since the garden, to work the land, to have a purpose, to be fulfilled in the things that we do. But God, we can only be fulfilled in those things when they're of you. So God, forgive us for the work that we do to achieve our own status. Forgive us for the desire for man's approval, designating us as someone who is worthy of a certain amount of money or position. God, let our drive, let our hard work be because you are worthy of it. You are worthy, God. God, we're so, we're so far from where we need to be some days. But God, I pray in this moment we would see that there is an opportunity to lean into a, a community that loves us, a church that is founded on you and your word, and be a part of life-giving transformation for people as they hear the gospel. God, as we welcome them, as we inspire them to worship you, as, God, we disciple children and students and adults in small group. God, there's so many, so many ways that you could use our talents and our abilities and our time. God, just our time. Just God, take us deeper right now, I pray pray that these cards would not leave empty. God, that people would see them as a, as a, a chance to, to go further than they've gone when they walked in. That they would walk out knowing that they took another step in their faith and their walk with you. So God, come and move. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.